Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to have you with us today, and those of you joining us online, we welcome you as well. Um, be sure to follow along with me with your notes that have been handed out to you. And I'm going to minister a message today, continuing on in our series that I started a couple weeks ago called The Sword of the Lord. And uh, today, for the past two Sundays, we've actually looked at the parable of the sower. I looked at it in the book of Luke, looked at it in the book of Mark. And today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, where it's also there. We're not going to look at it again, but I am going to look at another parable that Jesus told, and it is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And so, I've titled this message today, Weeds in the Wheat. So, follow along with me in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 24 through 30, and then we're going to skip over to verse 36. So, Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 24. The Bible says, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Would you just say this? Good seed. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat. And went away. Some say, somebody say, bad seed. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then following that is the parable of the mustard seed, and following that there's the parable of the leaven. And if you look in verse 35, it says that, Everything that Jesus spoke, He spoke in parables in order that He could, uh, He would utter things hidden from the foundation of the earth. So He's revealing a truth from the foundation of the world here. Now look at verse 36. He then left the multitudes and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, 
Or he who has ears, let him hear. Does anybody have ears? Let him hear. Now, for the past two weeks, as I said, we have looked at the parable of the sower and how God's word is sown in different kinds of soil. And today we look at the parable of the wheat and the tares, and it describes the work of Satan planting wheat or planting weeds among the wheat. Now, I want you to understand something here. Where is the wheat? It's in his kingdom. Both of us are in the world. Both of us are in the field of the world, but the devil comes in to where Jesus is planted in the same field and plants bad seed. Now, the parable before us, I want you to understand it's crystal clear because he explains it. The disciples didn't get it, but after he's done with it, he breaks it down pretty simply, and he tells you every part of it. It's very straightforward. Jesus says this, he who has ears, let him hear. I believe in 2023, we need to have ears that hear. And Jesus' point here is not merely hearing. If you have ears to hear, that's not merely hearing. His point is what we do with what we hear him say that will prove us in the end times. So, I do have quite a little bit of Oklahoma and Kansas prairie blood in me. I do come from a long line of farmers that are familiar with planting seeds. So, I hope that you're going to glean something fresh and useful from this information that Jesus has given us today in this parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, as I said, we've looked at the parable of the sower from the book of Luke and from the book of Mark. It's also here in the book of Matthew earlier before this. And in that parable, the, the seed in that parable clearly stands for the Word of God. Everybody say, the sword of the Lord. The sword of the Lord is the Word of God. And as we've looked at that, coming fresh off of that parable... Jesus speaks something similar in this passage, and Jesus says he is also the sower of this seed. And that seed is the people of the kingdom. We know that the enemy is Satan. He is the evil one who is sowing tares in the field. So wheat is God's people, and the tares are those who don't really serve God. Jesus often uses the image of a harvest to represent judgment, the end of days. And so in this parable, the field represents the world where the wheat and the tares grow together. And how many of you can see it? The wheat and the tares, we're growing side by side together. And the mixed state of affairs has resulted from the work of the enemy at the beginning of the church age. And what I want you to see is that this parable, like the parable of the sower, references the seed being sown as the Word of God. See, the devil wants to take the Word of God and twist it, counterfeit it, pervert it. God's Word is the sword in the weapons of our warfare. If the devil can take your sword, you have no offensive weapon. It's called the sword of the Lord. I call it the sword of the Lord. This is the sword of the Lord in my life. And Jesus said that the wheat, this is something that is so amazing to me. 
that the wheat and the tares will grow together until the harvest that he defined is at the end of the age. And he gives no hint that the tares would gradually die out or that they would decrease in numbers, but he actually announces that at the end they would be found in such a quantity as needing to be bundled. The prominent thing in the parable of the wheat and the tares is the work of the enemy, Satan. His servants sow evil seed, while the servants of the sower of the, sow the good seed. And in other words, it's under the cover of darkness that the enemy sows the tares. He sows his seed under the cover of darkness because he hates the light. And it is not the sower, I want you to watch this too, it's not the sower who is sleeping It's his servants. The Bible says God never sleeps. God never slumbers. He never grows weary like his servants do. And y'all want to tell you something else. Satan doesn't either. He's always on the alert. The Bible says roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. He is the personification of perpetual motion. He's always got motion going on in things. And the Bible says, while his men were sleeping, this refers to the unwatchful condition which soon developed among the Lord's people. And the presence of tares among the wheat was evidenced, if you will look at Scripture, from a very early date in the church. To the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes these words in 2 Thessalonians 2.7. He says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The Apostle John tells the readers of uh, his first letter, 1 John 2.18, he says, You have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. Jude says in Jude chapter, uh, verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to get into that in a little bit more detail later. To the church at Pergamos in the book of Revelation, one of the seven churches, Jesus said, I have a few things against you. Now, hear what he says. He says, because you have, you have there in your church some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. And you also have some in the same way that hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And when you study what the Balaam believed and Nicolaitans believed, it was not what God believes. Today there are churches that stand for things and believe things and perpetuate things that God does not say in His Word. In fact, many of it violates directly what God says in His Word. And we are told in this parable that the sower is the Son of Man, and He sows good seed in His field, verse 24, verse 37. Then we're told the enemy sows tares, verse 25. Now, I want to tell you something about Satan. He is not a creator. Satan cannot create. What Satan does is pervert what is created. Corrupts what is created. Another word is he's an imitator. He counterfeits the works of God. So it is important for us to know how he operates so that we will be discerning. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, if you will study God's Word, this is David Drew translation, if you will study God's Word, you will not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. 
The Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes if we know God's Word. So, I want you to carefully notice this as well. The enemy does not sow thorns and thistles. If he had done that, it'd be easily detected, that's a thorn, that's a thistle. He sows tares. You'll have no difficulty discerning the truth from the fake if you see a big old thistle there. Back, I remember farming in the days where, you know, thistles would just be all over the, uh, the, the, the ground, and you would have to take an implement called a sweep, and you'd go in there, and you'd just come right underneath the root and cut them up, and it'd just pull them right out of the ground. And those were the things that ultimately uh, dried up. And you see them in the westerns, and they're called tumbleweeds. That's what becomes a tumbleweed is this big old huge thistles. And they, they're that big. They're huge. And, uh, but the Bible says Satan didn't sow that. Satan sowed tares. So first off, we need to know what are tares. And the tares that are mentioned in this parable are the plant which goes by the name Darnel. Now, here's a photo of what wheat looks like and what darnel looks like. Which is which? Well, as you're looking at it, the wheat's on the left and the darnel's on the right. But you can't tell it until it gets a little bit older. And so, uh, as we look at this, I want you to see that the wheat is edible, it becomes bread, it's used for um, every wheat product, but darnel to the right of it is a noxious weed that looks a lot like wheat. It's imitating it. It's counterfeit. It is actually poisonous to both animals and humans, and it comes from the family of weeds called poesia, and farmers know the different types of families of weeds that love to attack wheat, and that's one of them. And it's a form of ryegrass, and when it at first sprouts, and for some time as it is growing, it is virtually indistinguishable from wheat. And only as it begins to mature do the differences between the wheat and the darnel plant become evident. But by the time you can recognize the differences between the wheat and the darnel, it's already well established in the field, and its root system is now mingled with the wheat. And I just like the devil? His seeds are poison to you. And to your life. And Jesus explained in the parable, if you go in and start pulling up the darnel at this, week, at this point, if you start pulling up the weeds, you're going to destroy part of your crop at the same time. And as I mentioned, when wheat and darnel first sprout, they're virtually indistinguishable, so you could not possibly know which is the weed and which is the wheat at this particular stage because you might be pulling up the wheat instead of those tares and you leave those to flourish. So when the servants of the sower discovered what the enemy had done, they wanted to root out the darnel. But Jesus told him in verse 28, Jesus told him in verse 29, don't do it because by rooting it out, you will also uproot the wheat. And the weed darnel actually wraps itself around the roots of the wheat, and this is why the sower didn't want his servants to root out the darnel. 
Because it is only when it's time to harvest, it's only when the harvest time came, did Jesus say it's safe now to separate the wheat from the darnel. And as those green, flourishing uh, imitation blades grow side by side with the real wheat, it appears like it's going to be a good harvest. But there's weeds in the wheat. Appearances are deceptive. Many churches all over America, there's huge churches, and they all look like wheat. But the Bible says at the end of times, there are going to be those that say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. There are those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So this parable exposes Satan's M.O., his mode of operation. Why does Satan do this? Why does he, why does he sow tears among the wheat? What is he up to? Well, what he's trying to do is he is trying to destroy God's testimony on earth by introducing a false Christianity, a clever imitation of the real thing. And this parable reveals that he works from within. He sows tares among the wheat. Satan has an imitation gospel, folks. We are clearly given the solemn warning in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13 through 15 where we're told false apostles and deceitful workers will disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, the servants of Satan are not just working. Hear what I'm saying. They're not just working in, in the, the sinful activity of mankind. They're not out there just peddling drugs and, and, and causing people to, to live in sin sexually and all these other ways. Some are working overtime in our seminaries and in our pulpits. These are not advocating lawlessness, but they're preaching what they call righteousness. Now walk with me on this. They're preaching what they call love. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 3, look at this verse. It says, But being, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. But being ignorant of God's righteousness, in other words, they're not really in God's word, they're establishing their own righteousness. By not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God. So I want you to make no mistake about it. Satan has an imitation church. There may be a cross over the door. There may be paintings and statues of Jesus in the sanctuary. His servants may profess the, the name of Christ and seemingly hold to some of the sayings of Jesus like love. God is love. Can I say, yes, I agree with God is love. But you know what? The same God that loves you is the same God that will judge you in the end. Now, the imitation is so subtle that they make it appear as if the Scriptures support their pretensions and millions are being deluded right now in 2023 by that soul-destroying imitation. Right now, they are so blatant, some are so blatant that they affirm the sinful ways of our modern culture. Their church programming is designed to meet the needs of the tares. 
instead of the wheat. So they, what happens is, here's what a weed does. It will consume your resources. It consumes the food, the fertilizer, the water, and the sunshine that is no longer now available for the wheat plants in the field. Now, please walk with me on this. I pray you don't throw hymnals at me or judge me too harshly. There are many churches that have gone the way of seeker-friendly so much so that they have forgotten the gospel is really sin deadly. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we've got to repent of the sin, not keep it going, not get it affirmed, not say it's okay to live that way. Say, listen, the way you're living is going to take you where you don't want to go at the end of life. Hello? That's true love. So the first thing about tares or weeds is that they take up room that would otherwise be useful for the production of wheat. I don't want to grow weeds. My yard does that by itself. Your yard does that by itself. In fact, you don't have to fertilize a weed. You don't have to cultivate a weed. You don't have to water a weed. In fact, you will get them out, and you'll wonder, how in the world did that one get back in there again? They're prolific. There are many churches, as I said, that have gone their own way. The Bible goes on and says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. How many of you would want to be told if the ways you thought were right were wrong at the end of time? Who would truly love you? The one who told you something you didn't maybe want to hear but was truth? Or the person that told you something you wanted to hear and it was just a full-on bold-faced lie? Secondly, the root systems of the tares become entangled with the root systems of the wheat. And that's why you can't just yank the tares out of the ground Once you recognize them. Because if you do that, you'll certainly uproot some of the wheat as well. Thirdly, and probably most importantly, tares produce nothing useful. Instead, they produce a great many more useless plants. Noxious and poisonous like themselves. And this is the reason, church, that many seminaries, and this is going to blow your mind have decayed over time. The reason seminaries and some churches have decayed, some denominations have decayed over time, is because they fell asleep while the enemy was sowing weeds among them, and they eventually became a field of nothing but weeds. In our day and time, there are denominations that have followed this similar path. Their beginning is one that flourished with new growth, and there was an abundance of both good wheat But the enemy came in and he sowed poisonous weeds beside the wheat. And finally, it declined into a field of weediness. So they begin with high and holy purposes, but over a few generations, they become choked with weeds. And all of a sudden, a new generation comes along and tolerates sin. And what one generation tolerates, the next generation celebrates. Think of the things today that are celebrated in our culture. They were tolerated some decades ago. 
They were brought in and they weren't confronted. They weren't removed. They were tolerated. Now they're celebrated on the streets of America. As the tears grow and multiply, eventually they choke out the wheat plants until you end up with institutions like Southern Methodist University or Yale or Harvard or Princeton. Those schools were originally founded to further the spread of the gospel, but today they are headquarters of many things that are directly hostile to the gospel. That'd be a good message to preach one day, hostile to the gospel. Did you know that the Puritans established Harvard only 16 years after we landed on this, on this continent? In 1636, shortly after arriving in Massachusetts Bay, the Puritans. Now, here was Harvard's mission statement in 1642. It was clearly evangelical. Listen to what it says. Everyone, quote, everyone shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. End quote. Almost all Ivy League colleges had similar beginnings. Yale was established by conservative congregationalists from Connecticut. Princeton by New Jersey Presbyterians. Brown College by Rhode Island Baptists. And Dartmouth by mission-minded New Hampshire evangelicals. How many have heard of all the major evangelistic outreaches from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, and Brown now. Notice also in this parable, Jesus references the end of the age. I really want you to pay attention to that because that's the age of grace that we're currently living in. The perspective of Jesus' parable shows us that it is not narrow. It's not limited to the disciples' day. It actually is a perspective that is, I believe, one of prophecy. It's a perspective that encompasses the entire age of the church. And the disciples are at the very beginning of it. You see, the world is not just the world as it was in the days of the original apostles. It is the world as it stretches down through time, down to our present day, and onward into the future until the time that the Son of Man is going to charge His angels to go out into the world and remove everything that gives offense. Said another way, Jesus' parable has more meaning, more obvious meaning for you and me today than it likely did for Peter, James, John, Andrew, and everyone else of the disciples that heard it the day that he spoke it. At least at the time he spoke the parable to them. We know and can glean more than what they did. They could not see 2,000 years into the future, but you know what? We can see 2,000 years into the past. And here's the thing that blows me away. And I began to kind of understand a little bit more of what I'm seeing. Satan is being permitted to bring forth an imitation Christ. You say, wait, Pastor, what do you mean? It's going to be his masterpiece. Much is said 
in Scripture concerning him. He's the Antichrist. The Bible says he will work miracles. He will at first claim to be the, be the true Christ, come back to earth. Multitudes, the Bible says, will be deceived by him, even the elect. So that the entire world will follow after him. Revelation 13, 4, if you want to not jot a, a note down. He's going to be attractive. Falls right in line with this parable of the sower and the tares. Satan's not sowing thorns and thistles, folks. He's sowing imitation lookalikes. He's sowing seed that looks like the real thing when it pops up. And you know what? In this parable, we are not told of any opposition or hindrances to the growth of the tares like we did in the first parable concerning the sower going out to sow the seed. Walk with me on this. There is no mention of wayside ground. There is no mention of rocky soil too hard for them to penetrate. There are no thorns to choke them, for they're going to thrive anywhere and everywhere in that field. There is no mention made of the birds eating up the seed. All the external circumstances, all of the external conditions are favorable to the growth of the tares, the weeds, the darnel. No cultivation is needed. They will grow on, them, on, them, on their own. Also, I want you to understand the enemy's success is plainly implied by the attention given to the tares. Watch this in uh, verse 36. When Jesus sends the multitude away, let's pop that one back up. Look back at verse 36. When Jesus sends the multitude away and he goes back into the house with his disciples, they said, explain to us the parable of the what? They didn't ask about the wheat. They understood that. He just talked about sowing the seed. They said, explain to us the parable of the tares. It's the tares and not the wheat that predominates and occupies the larger portion of the field. If you look at verse 30, back at verse 30, the, the very mention of bundles bears that out. Gather them up in bundles. Do you, know how many, do, you know how many, do you know how many blades you've got to have to get a bundle? Have you ever seen shocks of wheat, the way they used to cut the wheat, and then they would bind them up, and they'd put them in a shock of wheat, and you, you see them like, you know, right now, harvest time and Halloween and all that stuff, you got your shocks of wheat. Those are bundles. There are going to be so many that there are bundles. The owner of the field forbids any interference with the growth of the tares, and do you know what? That has been a source of debate in the theological world. Why in the world would God allow the enemy to sow his tares? And why is God permitting them to occupy the principal part of the field? In other words, why has God allowed Satan this freedom? You ever wonder that? Why, why, is, why is the devil allowed all this kind of freedom? Well, the answers to that are not quite as difficult as many suppose. In seeking answers to those questions, the fact is over, often overlooked that the leaders of this world uh, in Jesus' day rightfully rejected their king, or rejected their rightful king. The Jews wanted Barabbas. They wanted a weed in the garden. They wanted a murderer. 
Instead of the King of kings. Instead of the Lord of lords. Instead of the worker of miracles. Instead of the giver of life. They chose a murderer in preference to the Lord of life. And people today still have the power of choice. Both Jews and Gentiles have reaped what they've sowed. Rejecting the Savior, Satan has ruled over them ever since, and he will rule over them, the Bible says in verse 39, until the end of the age, if they so desire. Jesus said, I'm going to send out my reapers who are angels. And he said, they will gather out of my kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. The ways of God's word are hugely attacked today, folks. I'm going to say it again. The ways of God's word are under huge attack today. What is marriage? It's under attack. What is sin? It's under attack. What is a family? It's under attack. There are movements today that are seeking, listen to me, they want to gather all nations into one great state bundle. The unification of religions is the goal of the religious leaders of this world. Those who understand prophecy know that that goal is going to become a reality in the future. The leading powers of this age are working together to form a one-world government and a one-world religion. And the bundling of the tares has started. And soon, the wheat is going to be removed from the field in the rapture. And Jesus said, let the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. Do you know what our marching orders are? Preach the gospel. Go everywhere you can preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen? When I was 14 years old, God called me to preach. And the verse that he spoke into my heart was 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. And he said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Jesus said the tares are planted while the servants are sleeping, and that is a warning to the church today. We are called to watch and pray. And we need to hear, heed this next warning of Romans 13, 11 verse, through verse 14. And it says, And this do... Knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. Who could say amen? The day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on your weapon of your warfare. Take up that sword of the Spirit. Let us behave properly. As in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Church, listen, we must never lose sight of the fact that Jesus loves his own. And forbidding the uprooting of the tares, do you know what that is? That is love from Jesus, even for the ones Satan has planted. He would rather let the tares grow rather than lose a single blade of wheat. 
And make no mistake about it, church, when it talks about the furnace of fire in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42, that is referencing a real hell. It is no superstition. It's not just a mere superstition of the dark ages, but it is a dread reality that multitudes now living will discover that it is the certain portion of all who choose to continue to reject the Lord Jesus. And we have been warned to flee from the wrath to come, lest it be too late. Can I get an amen? So I close with this. What are we to do? What are we to do in these difficult days where we see so many weeds in the wheat, so to speak? You know, we see a lot of the problems that are going on in the world. We just, how do we do, what do we do with it? How do we deal with it? What is it that we can do? The first thing I want you to know is this. First of all, take heart in what Jesus is teaching here. Do not lose heart when you look around and find the world looking more and more like a field of weeds. Do not let it discourage you. That's exactly what Jesus told us to expect. Yet Jesus came into this weedy world with his power of the Holy Spirit upon his life, with love in his heart, with the with the with the the direction of his father saying, go here, do this, do that. He said, I don't do anything I don't see my father do. And everywhere he went, he went about doing good. He just began to love people. He began to meet them where they were. There's a woman caught in the act of adultery, and she, they're like, she deserves to die. He's like, the first one that's got sin, no sin in you, you'd be the first one to throw the stone. And they all began to drop the stones, began to walk away, and Jesus could have. Jesus could have thrown the stone because he was perfect. And he says, where are your accusers? And she, they're gone. He said, neither do I accuse you. Jesus is not here to accuse you. He is here to love you. He is here to bring you home. He is here to forgive you. If you are a weed in the field, he is there to take you out of that. He is there to make you into from a weed to a wheat. You say, well, pastor, that's not possible. <laughs> With God, all things are possible. Secondly, don't allow your attitude to be one of complacency. If there's anything I've got to say to the church of Jesus Christ in the year of 2023 is stop sleeping. Wake up. It's time to not be complacent, but we are to be diligent and tend to the wheat. If you are wheat, you're the first one you need to tend to. You've got to tend to yourself and you've got to tend to others who are sown by the Son of Man, our leader, Jesus himself, to ensure so far as we are able that the wheat comes to maturity and waiting to be gathered into the harvest. Are you still okay? I know that's a tough word, but we've got to hear it today. Also, pray that we will take heed to what Jesus said in this parable. The third thing is that the tares are sown when men are asleep. Pray that we're not sleeping saints who allow the enemy to sow weeds among us. Okay, so first of all, that we don't sleep and that we don't allow him to sow weeds around us. And then the last thing is, let me say this. We are here to reach the lost, folks. I close with this story. A young woman about 20 years old had been living on the streets of a suburban neighborhood of about, for about five years so since she was about 15. And she was living on the streets because of her severely abusive alcoholic parents. She was a pleasant-looking young woman behind the tattered and dirty clothes. 
She had oily hair. She had a dirty, makeup-free face. And somehow she had managed to avoid all of the alcohol that her parents had lived for and the drugs that soothed most of the other homeless people in her area. She had, little, she had this little old Bible that an aunt had given her when she was 11 years old. And she kept it with her in the one canvas bag that held all of her earthly belongings. And she got by like most homeless folks do by rummaging for bottles and cans and asking odd people for spare chains. But she never got, she never, you know, she never gave herself up to prostitution or, or to stealing. She didn't have a drug habit. She was a true homeless person there. And throughout all of those years of torment, her only refuge was that little Bible that she had learned. And she had learned it inside and out because she read it every day. And it led her to depend upon the Lord and to love Him. And she had too much pain. She, she, she had too much pain, though, and not enough skills to get out of the situation she was in. But she tried to live as close as she could to how the Bible instructed her to live. And for years, she had watched people. Go to this church that was a couple blocks away from the place that she slept alone at night in the bushes. And she'd look at all the well-dressed people, get out of their cars and walk into the church's families. And she'd sit in the parking lot and she would listen to the muffled music of the worship service. And she would pray and she would read her Bible until the end of the service. And then she would watch as the doors opened and people mingled and laughed and hugged before they got back in their cars and drove off. That was her church service. She dreamed of being like those people. And she believed, though, she would never fit in there. But finally, one day, she decided she was going to take the money that she had made from her collections, and instead of food, she was going to go down to the thrift store and buy the prettiest dress that she could find. She didn't know how a dress should fit. Felt very uncomfortable wearing it, but she bought it what she thought was a pretty dress. And the following Sunday, she got up. She gathered all the courage she could. Um, she put on that dress. She had no place to get a shower. She had no makeup. But she tried her best to clean her face and to do something with her hair. And she trembled with nervousness as she made her way to the church and tried to sneak in so no one would, would see her and she wouldn't have to shake hands with anyone. Of course, there was no place to hide, so... She walked through the foyer and she attracted a few looks of disgust. And then people would look away. And they ignored her and they took no time for her. Now it took everything that she had not to run out of the building, but she stayed and she found a seat in the back corner of the sanctuary where she closed her eyes and prayed until the service started. Through the service, she cried not so silently, knowing that she'd probably not pull herself out of that and, or put herself through that again. But she felt ecstatic about having at least been, having a chance to be a part of a church service at least once in her life to experience some of what these people did. She found herself hesitating to leave at the end of the service because she just wanted to get all she could out of being there before being asked to leave or just bolting out of the back, uh, back to her life. And when she decided to get up and leave, the foyer was very busy. It took some effort and much discomfort walking alone through the crowd of cheerful people. But listen to what happened. She finally escapes, and as she walks toward her home, 
her bushes, a young teenage girl in the church notices the color of her dress. And she interrupts her father and asks him, who is that walking away? Because I've never seen her before. And he glanced quickly and he finished up his conversation and he looked more intently as she exited the parking lot. And as the family's driving home, in the same direction as the girl, they see her in the bushes, in her dress. Now, this family was a quite wealthy family. They regularly took in foster kids. They would raise them until they were 18 and then place them back into society, a better person than they were when they came. And the father had also helped finance a low-cost building project for the homeless in a nearby city. And the following Saturday morning, what this family did is they know where she's at now, and they go in search of this girl as their curiosity had increased over the weeks. The dad went into the bushes, the same ones he saw her enter the previous Sunday, and he saw her sleeping there with an old blanket over her and her Bible sitting open beside her. He didn't want to startle her, so he just kept gently saying hello from a distance until she finally woke. And before anything else was said, he quickly asked her if she had come to their church the previous week. And this sort of lowered her anxiety, and she hesitantly said yes. Well, the dad ended up putting her in a motel for that night, and the mom gave her some nice clothes and some makeup from home. And the next morning, Sunday morning, they picked her up. Of course, she'd been ready already for hours. And when they saw her, they could barely recognize her because of the difference. Now she got to go to church like everyone else. After church that Sunday, the family took her out for lunch, and by the end of it, they had invited the girl to come live with them, kind of like a foster adult foster kid, I guess. And here is, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Within a year, she enrolled and was a very successful student at Bible college because she knew the Bible well and some even better than her professors did. Today, she's living on her own, and she's the children's ministry director of an even larger church in that community, which has a huge outreach program to the homeless people that she started. That woman looked like a weed, but she turned out to be one of the finest stalks of wheat in God's kingdom. That's the power of the gospel. That can turn a weed into wheat. And God wants the weeds to be affected by the wheat and not the wheat to be affected by the weeds. Bow with me. Today, Lord, let us hear these words. Let these words penetrate our heart to such a degree that we go out 
into the field of this world and make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.